Uh, hey there and welcome to the Anim Dojo podcast. Uh, my name is Tom, co-founder of Anim Dojo and we have with us Vader. Hello, how's everyone doing? Vader here, uh, co-founder of Anim Dojo as well. And what are you up to at the moment, Vader? Well, I'm currently uh, locked up at Dunder Mifflin in Scranton. Um, <laughs> uh, no, we're all in lockdown. So yeah, I'm just kind of working from home at the moment, uh, like everyone else uh, in uh, yeah, VFX. Cool. And we have uh, Katie. Hi, I'm Katie. Uh, I'm a community manager at Anim Dojo and a recruiter at Blue Zoo. Um, and I'm just in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have Grace. Hello. I'm marketing coordinator at Blue Zoo and Adam Dojo. Uh, I too am in my bedroom, <laughs> working from home every day. Yeah, getting used to it now. Yeah. So um, if you didn't know what Adam Dojo is, our mission is to give everyone a helping step up the career ladder in the animation and VFX industries, regardless of your age, location, wealth or time availability. And if you're new to this podcast, it's to help with that mission too. We have interviews and host discussions with animation professionals to give actionable advice to help you conquer your career in animation. And in this episode, we're continuing our interviews that we recorded in Move Summit back in February. And if you haven't heard of Move Summit, it's a fantastic festival with loads of A-list studios giving talks. So get yourself there next year if you can. Uh, so this is actually our um, first uh episode of our podcast recorded in lockdown how is we're fourth fourth weekend now how is everyone dealing with it it's all right <laughs> <laughs> just getting on with it trying not to climb the walls but it's okay yeah one of the lucky ones i guess yeah no Good exactly like this so you know there's things to be grateful for as well yeah beta how are you how are you finding it with kids as well yeah, it's pretty mental. I think the kids are really um, making it a challenge to work, focus, and uh, also like be a parent. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, like again, can't stress enough to say that it's important to be aware of how uh, grateful and lucky we we could, we should feel about certain things. You know, the fact that you know we still have work that we're able to provide for our families um and we're safe and helping people stay safe but again it, it is also a challenge it's 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 quite tricky um but yeah you, what can you do you know you make the best of a, of a bad situation and this is what we're doing right now with this podcast yeah uh grace how you been getting on yeah i'm all right thank you i'm <laughs> to think i need to get some art from my walls because uh <laughs> my zoom my zoom calls are looking pretty bare but uh, yeah, just like the others said, taking it one day at a time. Yeah, cool. So uh, let's crack on with the podcast then. Uh, so this one's with Andrew Chesworth, which uh, Grace uh, spoke to when we were at uh, Move Summit. Yeah, and he's a really lovely guy and an insanely talented animator. Uh, I sat in on his session um, during uh, Move Summit and he talked about his early career where he started in 2D and uh, working at Disney and uh, eventually directing a short film at Tyco Studios, who are a China-based um, studio, and then um, going on to work um, as a freelance animator and eventually on Klaus um the 2d film for netflix so it was a really interesting talk um and i was lucky enough to chat to him in the bar afterwards and uh, yeah i recorded some of the conversation 
I'm here with Andrew. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Andrew Chesworth, uh, animator and director, and this is my first time at Move Summit in Edinburgh. That's really exciting. Have you been to the UK before? I've only been to uh, London and a few other small towns in England. This is my first time in Scotland. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit. In your session, you talked a lot about reference. So I wanted to ask you um, why you use reference so much and what you think it can do for... Uh, maybe compare the difference between CG and 2D if you think there is much difference. I mostly use reference to troubleshoot ideas before I sit down and take the time to move keyframes or make drawings. Uh, I'm very passionate about the acting side of animation. It took me a long time to realize as an animator I wasn't being hired to move keys or puppeteer an object in Maya, I was being hired to deliver a performance that tells a story and brings some personality to the situation for the audience. And shooting reference allows you to discover not just the needs of the performance physically, but also what little ticks or mannerisms you can come up with that you maybe wouldn't have invented straight from your imagination. So reference is the first line in a conversation that you have with yourself about what do I want to see in this scene. I often think of it as a, uh, a thumbnail pass or a, a study that I'll then iterate upon. Because I never use reference for the sake of rotoscoping or copying. I use it for idea generation and general questions of physicality and choreography. Cool. Uh so what are people's thoughts on that? Bader, is that, is that similar to how you've used um, references when animating? Well, it's a very good question because I have always been uh, a, not, not necessarily against reference, but just someone that doesn't use reference particularly because of, you know, logistics and being at a studio all day uh, where you have to, you know, do lots of shots really quickly. But I have come to uh, the understanding or at least to my own, my own personal experience, the realization that reference is not really, uh, it's not so much a, 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 a cheating tool. It's, it's, it's like, it's like, you know, Andrew said, it's, it's like just one of the passes that you've done. It's like a brainstorming ideas and thumbnailing and obviously different, different mediums will require it in different ways. So like in VFX, you'd have to really stick to it almost, you know, not rotoscoping, but really try and find the very final detail, whereas maybe like if you're doing something more cartoony, you'll, you'll try and exaggerate it and kind of generalize with it. But I found that any animator who's really strong and then you have them do reference first and try the reference, they tend to end up becoming stronger. It's, it, you rarely take someone who's, who's, who could animate and then they use reference and then it just weakens their work. Uh, I find that it's actually a, a very big bonus. So I would advise people who have not used it or were against using it, uh, like me, to really give it a shot and try it out because you will be surprised how much it can elevate your work, whether it's just for animation or for illustration as well, just in general, I think. I remember you saying before that one of the issues is becoming reliant on it for shots that you might not need for it, especially, I guess, more so in TV animation where, you're, yeah. you're, where you're, your turnaround of shots is a lot quicker than doing feature animation. So I guess there's a difference there. That's the problem, I think. It, you know, particularly me coming from TV with a very strong sort of, uh, you know, background in, in um, having to like, can you guys hear the background or you can't? 
a little bit, but it's all part of lockdown. Don't worry about yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the, uh, what was I saying? Um, yeah. So when you're in TV, your schedules are very tight and you do have to come up with very memorable, fun, exciting performances, which you really can't use reference for, you know, like you look at the um, classic, uh, you know, uh, hand-drawn animated, you know, shorts, like, you know, some of the Warner Brothers ones, Looney Tunes and things like that, you know, they, they weren't based on realistic movement because they had a very different schedule to like Disney at the time. And, you know, they had reference even back then to use that for their features. Yeah. So I think, I think it really does depend obviously on where you're working and what project you're on. But if you do have the luxury to try it out, definitely go for it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's definitely a kind of a contextual kind of tool um, of, of where you're using it and, and what form. I think it's, but ultimately, on the other side of that, if you are in a context where you don't necessarily need to use reference or you haven't got the time to use reference, it's still worth maybe on personal shots or going outside of your comfort zone to use reference if you haven't beforehand, because like you said, it could give you the tools to be stronger for those shots where you aren't using reference. Yeah, and, and, and just to kind of emphasize something, because Tom mentioned relying on it, I agree in the sense that if you end up relying on it, that you think that without it, you cannot animate, I think that's, that's you know, that's, that's a wrong concept, like a, a wrong concept. You can animate without it. Yeah. It's just that if you use it, it will help you explore ideas you probably couldn't have thought of because there are things you do that you don't naturally consider. Yeah. You will uh, naturally just do them. Sorry? It's like a balance, isn't it? It is a balance, yeah. So, you know, knowing when to use it for what and how to, how to apply it is really important. There's probably a whole podcast in that, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Should, we, should we listen to the next uh, question Grace had then? So, you have done some awesome projects. You worked at Disney and you did, uh, you did character animation for Klaus. Um, so, I was just wondering how... What advice do you have for somebody who is maybe just starting out and would love to work on these amazing projects that's similar to what you're working on now in the future? I would say be kind and be gracious because animation is a team sport. So the more collaborative and open-minded you are as a person, the more opportunities and situations you will invite into your life. And obviously it's a very demanding job you want to be hardworking and diligent and be kind to yourself and kind to your body because it's a lot of sitting and a lot of focus. So uh, overall, I would say it's being considerate of a lot of things that feed into the job, whether it's social or physical or mental. Uh, as far as people just starting out, I think it's good to pick a lane. Like, I want to do effects animation. I want to do character animation. Um, because if it's broad, uh, you want to do it all, you're basically saying, I want to work for a small studio and be a generalist. Whereas when you're in school, if you think to yourself, I want to work in features, like at Disney or for Sergio Pablo's animation, it really narrows your focus. So at Disney, okay, I need to learn CG, and I learn, need to learn how to be a great actor, and I need to learn how to have a demo reel that has a variety of performances on it. There's emotional things, there's comedic things, there's physical things. You have a, a very clear sense of what you need to create because when somebody hires you, 
they're not only hiring you for the promise of what you'll be like as an employee in the future, but they are looking at your reel as an audition. So you basically already need to be at a certain level for them to hire you. Otherwise, you'll be in a, a trainee or an intern, but not necessarily somebody who's going to stay there for the long term. Um, if you do want to be a generalist, I would say look at the studios that are doing the work that you respond to the most, whether it's a studio like Golden Wolf or Make or Headless Productions. There's a lot of small studios out there where even though they're generalists, you might still be doing two or three things the most. Like, yes, I'm a generalist, but I mostly design storyboard and 2D animate. Or, yes, I'm a generalist, but I mostly model texture and rig. Even as a generalist, you'll have three or four skills that you mostly do. Because if you're doing everything, it's probably not the most productive use of your time for the company. So the old generalist, generalist versus specialism. Katie, obviously you see a lot of show reels. What's your, what's your take on that? I mean, uh, I'm just, I was just nodding through the whole thing. <laughs> it's so much... Uh, what you were saying about um you know he's he's completely right and I think he he kind of made it very concise in that idea of for a generalist there's still going to be specifics involved in that and and ultimately it's it's very rare that someone is going to be equally like nearly impossible equally as good at like 10 different skill sets across this like industry there's a reason that a production is made up of multiple people. It's because not everyone has the same specialisms and the same skill sets. Um, and it's not necessarily something to be afraid of. I think a lot of people who want to be generalists or don't know where to go as their specialisms kind of come from a place of they're worried about their creativity being limited or um, their interests being limited because they're interested in the whole in the whole show or the whole production. And the thing is, is being specialized in one area, two, three areas. Um, it's not a limitation on creativity. It's just what Andrew said. It's, it's about focus. You're focusing the creativity rather than removing it. Yeah. And also he um, said about the, one of the most important things is being kind, uh, generous, collaborative and considerate. Do you, in terms of, I guess another one who wants to ask Katie in terms of, well, I guess um, everyone as well, but in terms of how is that, uh, how do you gauge that when you're interviewing people? If people, if that's what employers are looking for, how do you tell if people are kind and generous and collaborative? I mean, it, it comes through multiple social cues. I mean, how do you know when you're talking to someone, whether they're being like sincere or polite or whether they're being like rude or standoffish? It, it all comes through the way that you interact with anyone socially it's it's communicating and and you just do that by following the rules of politeness which is saying hello and and being open and honest and you know if you have examples of you know I've, I've worked with a group of people and a lot of the time sometimes maybe that doesn't go so well but you're honest and kind of fair about how you discuss that experience and and hopefully try and do that in a positive way um, I mean, with kindness, you can, it's, it's usually pretty clear right off the bat, you know, whether you're, whether you're a kind person or not. And I would hope that a lot of people who think that they are kind can, can recognize that within themselves, that they don't have to worry about that. 
Um, if you aren't kind, then um, have a look at how many people want to talk to you and then think about the people you want to talk to and try and emulate them. I think also there's there's I guess there's a thing with uh, karma there as well, isn't there? And in in the sense of if you're nice to other people, that it will kind of it will come back to you. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's a it's just a kind of it's the same thing of like if you want to talk to people who are nice, and um, you know that's the kind of thing you want with the studio is we want to hire people who are nice. You know, so yeah, there's support those nice people. I think there's a very like. Uh, difficult thing for people to like uh completely understand when they're starting out is that most importantly aside from your work is you being likable and approachable or easy to deal with friendly and i know we say this so many times um but again it, i think it's that's how important it is you know how many times do people talk about showreels and podcasts as uh, showreels and and portfolios and you know people's work and very little is, is often, you know, spoken about a person's, pers you know, personality and attitude and the way that they deal with other people. Because if you're difficult, it doesn't just mean that, oh, you're difficult with your colleagues. It actually can go both upwards and downwards. Like if you're difficult with uh, receiving feedback, if you're not great at the, the, the way that you, you know, if you're a bit standoffish when, you know, constantly get it. it when, 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 when a supervisor or, or, or a director needs to give you notes to change things, they're not doing it because they want to make you feel bad. They're, they're doing it because they want to make the shot better. And oftentimes their suggestion is going to do that. So um, the way you take that in, um, again, also when you talk to the people who are below you, whether you are supervising them, whether you are talking to people from a different department, all of these things, you know, they, they really are important. And it affects the whole production, doesn't it? It really does. And it, it, it can just make, it can make, it, it can make a production actually go badly from within, not from any other reason. There's no, there's no difficulty with the, with the schedule or the client or anything. It's just there's like, you know, just one sour grape amongst the batch and they just kind of really take everyone down with them. So, you know, just don't be that person. Yeah. You noticed the first thing I said about Andrew was that he's a really nice guy. I feel like it can make all the difference if you're just considerate and thoughtful. Um, I, I would, I, I'm sure a lot of his success is in um, his successful soft skills as well as his ginormous talent. So. I think there is something to be learned there, and it was a real joy to speak to him because he so succinctly, like Katie said. Um, was able to convey that uh, these certain skills were important um, and how he felt about that. Yeah, cool. Well, should we see what he had to say next? Okay. So you're saying specialize, but at the same time, you've done so many different kinds of things. I'm wondering, I, actually, I'll ask you, what, which did you prefer more? Do you like doing 2D or CG more? I prefer drawing because drawing is what I began doing at a young age and I'm sort of attached to it. But as far as animating, I don't really have a preference because it's all about acting for me. Acting is the part I like and you get to do that in, in either. But as far as what do I do when I'm not animating, I'm drawing. I love to draw. So I would say hand-drawn animation benefits more directly from my passion. 
but when I'm doing CG, I do really quite enjoy the the expediency of it because you're not so much hung up on draftsmanship. You're all about performance. And uh, as James Baxter said, CG animation is like playing regular hockey, and 2D animation or hand-drawn animation is like ice hockey. There's one more thing you have to be good at on top of the performance and the timing, which is the draftsmanship. Of course, yeah, that's really cool. Um, and, okay, I want to also uh, talk about, so you directed a short film, One Small Step, and uh, you did that with a small, it's Tycho. Could you tell me a little bit about Tycho Studio? So Tycho was founded by an animator named Xiaofu Zhang, whose family is from China, and then he grew up in the United States. And while he was at Disney, he was entertaining the idea of opening a studio that would have a footprint in both China and the United States. He's bilingual, his family is bilingual, but he's very passionate about sort of the American style of animation, and he wanted to bring that to a sort of international business model that was very personal for him with his dual heritage. And so he wanted somebody at the studio who had directed before. I directed commercials before I worked at Disney and who had at least some semblance of a generalist or small studio experience. So a lot of the projects I did before Disney were considered when he hired me to join Tyco after Disney. So I would never discount working at a small studio or being a generalist because it ended up paying off in the Tyco experience. In a Tyco, I wanted to bring a lot of my knowledge that I had accumulated at Disney about discipline in the acting, uh, having an emotional range in the performances, bring that quality of experience to the film I was directing at Tycho because I hadn't directed in almost seven years at that point and I hadn't done a short film since my thesis so it had been a lot of commercials then several years animating at Disney and now I'm directing again and I have authorship what do I want to do with this opportunity and fortunately I had great collaborators in Shafu and my co-director Bobby and our wonderful production team in China and we wanted to bring a lot of uh, personal authenticity to the story. Uh, it's an amazing short film. Um, it was uh, Oscar nominated, wasn't it? Or was it, I think. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, if, if you haven't checked it out, uh, go and check it out. I better check that, see if I was right or not. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Um, so it's beautiful. I thought it was interesting him doing the kind of the 2D versus 3D comparison there, where 2D's ice hockey and 3D's uh, normal hockey. I think he said, just needing that extra bit of um, draftsmanship to do 2D animation as well. Um, does anyone have any thoughts on that? It yeah, was I nominated. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say it was nominated for a, for an Oscar short film. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can definitely relate to his experience, um, although I, I have not, you know, gone down the 2D route as sort of much as, as, as Andrew has. Um, but I did sort of have this, you know, if I was ever a general, generalist about anything for me, it would be about constantly jumping between being uh, 3D animation to then jumping to 2D animation. And within 2D animation, I would do like maybe some storyboarding and, and some, you know, uh, general design work overall for characters but I found that I was always torn between the two and I didn't understand why um, but 
I I found from my experience that there is that extra layer of skill that you need to do 2D, which is obviously to know how to draw. Um, but I also found something was whenever I did a, a, a bit of 2D for a while and then I swapped back to 3D, I found that my 3D had become suddenly stronger in a certain way. I don't know why, but I felt that my time in 2D, I'm suddenly uh, just really much stronger because I'm free to like just animate without drawing and I can just do whatever I want. And I just suddenly, I, I become more aware, I guess, of my, my, my limitations. And then after being in 3D for a while, if I jump to 2D, what I find is my animating skills just feel very natural and I can focus on drawing and I no longer worry about my spacing or whether this, I know it works. All I have to worry about is the drawing. And I found that that jumping back and forth has kind of influenced both of my styles. And I am just, you know, like many of us, the first thing we ever did was draw something. So I'm pretty sure that drawing is always going to be something that, that, that is at the kind of core of why we're, we are where we are today. And um, yeah, um, you know, 100% relate to that, that feeling. And, and um, I would say that if I were to choose, I would say I, I actually kind of prefer 2D, even just as an aesthetic. And I try it, and I'm glad to see that 3D animation is open to kind of exploring different styles that look like that, even if it's still a CG environment where those things are being made, whether it's 3D or not. I like that the final look is starting to embrace a bit more of a hand-drawn feel. Which one small step did beautifully kind of marry that aesthetic. Yeah. We, yeah. Cool. Should we listen to the, uh, the next bit? That's really nice. That's really cool. Uh, finally, I'll ask you uh, one last question. Any advice for anyone who would like to direct in the future? Directing is a management job and you have to inspire people with the purpose of your project. Like, here's why I want to tell this story. I want to tell a story about what it feels like to feel that inkling of a dream at a young age and then see that dream come to fruition as an adult after much endurance and suffering and loss and heartache and struggle. One Small Step was personal for all of us for different reasons, but we all shared that theme of we wanted something at a young age, struggled for it, and saw it come true. For me and my co-director, Bobby, it was an allegory for watching Disney at a young age, getting into animation, realizing how hard it is, how much it can affect your life, and then when you finally step through the door at your dream job, your perspective is totally different than it was when you were a child. For, for better and for worse sometimes. But in one small step, we wanted to capture that bittersweet feeling of, I came all this way, and I know what it feels like now, and now all I can think about is what it took to get here. And so as a director, you have to balance your passion for the message of your story, because without the message, without the reason you want to do it, it can be very hard to inspire your crew. So you have to have a personal way into it, but you also have to have an appreciation for management because you're you're dealing with people and their nine to five experience working on your project you have to make it worth their time they have to see something special in it that makes them want to work with you and not some other team at that given moment 
and uh, you just have to make sure people feel like they're included into the process and that this is for them as much as it is for you. Directors ideally are very selfless managers that are still doing something very personal and specific uh, along the way. Thank you, that was great. Uh, I thought that was uh, uh, fantastic to have a director really show and tell what directing is actually about because a lot of people think directing means it's great, you get to do what you want to do, but it doesn't. If someone's paying for it, you don't get to, to do what uh, you want to do. So directing is all about the management, leadership and communication, not just being able to, to rule the roost. Um, what, do, what do you guys think of that? Yeah, that's definitely going to be covered in our next um, episode with Ruth Ducker, who's um, another director, and she talks about those soft skills that are absolutely essential. Um, and I feel like this is a nice grounding comment because there's, when you think about directing, a lot of people, like you say, I think, think about the kind of prestige that comes with it, which is almost the opposite of how you should approach it. You should approach it as it's, it's a group effort. Yeah, 100%. Um, and this is something I would like to also say out as a message if, if people who are listening, who one day can become directors themselves, supervisors, leads, you know, every place has a different name. And I think always remember what it felt like when you were still starting out and how you wanted that feeling of support and someone to guide you and to help you and to make you feel welcome and that, that, that your voice matters and that you're appreciated in your art and your skill and whatever you're contributing is adding to the overall picture um, so that when one day when you are in that position that you can sort somehow if that if that was not provided for you for you to be that person because I 100% agree that you know it's not about you it's about the team and it's about how much you can make the team really follow behind and 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 bring that vision as one and I think like a really good a really good director or supervisor or someone who is basically like in charge of the vision of something oftentimes it might feel like they're not doing much at all and that's because they're kind of making it work you know just because someone is constantly making all these changes and all these it doesn't necessarily mean it's right like it it it's it, it's different obviously from place to place and project to project but and i'm overgeneralizing but i'm saying that it can you know this might be a controversial, you know, perspective, but it's my, it's sort of my two cents on the topic. And I totally agree with what Andrew said, you know, it, it's, it's a much more humbling position, I would say, than it is to kind of think about it as it's my time now to show everyone my view and my this. It's, it really is about you helping others to reach this one collective, you know, team uh, uh, project to make it look good for everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's a position of trust, isn't it? You know, you have to inspire people, but people have to also trust you to direct them. The, the place that is hiring you or the project that's hiring you to direct has to trust you to be able to, to execute that. And you also have to trust that you're handling it in the right way. So it's, it's that, whole, that yeah. whole circle of, you know, it's not just that you're going in there and doing whatever you want you're also being relied on and it's a it's a big responsibility and you have to prove that that you are reliable and you can do that yeah no 100 percent. yeah 
Yeah, I think it also goes in. I mean, Katie, you must see it a lot with people uh, at entry level positions saying, I'm a director, which is always kind of best to say you're a, more of an aspiring director. Um, if you haven't actually been hired as a director before, having director on your CV can always look a little bit funny. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, I, I appreciate that there are student films, especially student films that have taken a, a real, like, really like hefty amount of time or there's like personal projects that people have done that um people have you know that they were in the role of art director supervisor director here um and the thing is is that's that's definitely applicable for the project that they were on but for the places that they are applying to it's not applicable anymore when you directed a team of two others but then in this scenario, directing a team of 110 people or even 50 people, 30 people, it doesn't necessarily correlate to the same amount of responsibility, which is why that, that term is so tricky because it's associated with, with so much weight behind it. And to kind of associate that with something that was much smaller in scale and, and doesn't have that transferable skills yeah. behind it, then... It, it loses its meaning and then it kind of also demonstrates that you may not understand what that means, which is also a flag yeah. for the studio that you're applying. I think it's, I think it's really tricky because you want to like, uh, there's no like criteria that says this is what makes someone a director all of a sudden. I think it's like when you say the word director or, you know, someone who is uh, in charge of, of, of a creative team, um, people assume that it's that they don't, they don't assume, you know, you, it, it's like, it's like if you say that you're a, a character designer, we will assume that you have designed characters somewhere professionally uh, on some level, even if it, even if it's for your own, you know, successful, you know, projects that have nothing to do with anyone ever paying you to do it. It's, it's your YouTube channel. And it's like, it's like you, you have all these like, you know, a large audience and you're doing work quite well. Yeah, you can call yourself a character designer if you have designed your own characters. But just because you like to draw doesn't necessarily mean you're a character designer because a character designer will create multiple different versions of the same character with different styles and different you know angles and they will explore and they will look at the props and it's a completely different skill set to just knowing how to draw. So it's the same thing with directing, you know. When you, when you say the word director, people will assume certain things. So kind of just kind of saying, you know, just be careful what you put on your CV when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, I think it's just about playing it safe at the end of the day, isn't it? And putting it in the right context for the job you're applying for. Yeah, and exactly. I also think it's worth bearing in mind that no one will ever take your word for it in the industry. It's got to be proven. So you say that you're a director, it's proven by the experience on your CV or the shows you've worked on. It's never just your word is taken for it. I've not worked on a show, but I am a director. They just won't believe you. That's what the portfolio and the showreels and the and the CV is for. You know, it's it's evidence that you've done what you say you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I think that's uh, what we've got to say about that fantastic interview that Grace did with Andrew. I uh, hope it was useful uh, for everyone. Um, does anyone have any thoughts on what the most valuable bit of advice uh, he he came up with, Vader? Does anything jump out to you? Oh. Um put you on the spot there yeah <laughs> no i think 
I think the overall the overall message from him is to be open to opportunities, I guess, and to try things because things he did in the past opened up opportunities for him in the future. And to not just label yourself, I just want to, you know, you know, like he did say pick a lane, but he also said, even if you want to be a generalist, that's considered a lane, you know? So I think being open to different experiences, trying new things and seeing where it takes you. And I, I'm a hundred percent, you know, agree with that. And most careers are like that. So yeah, have an open mind. Yeah. Grace. Yeah. He, um, I liked when he said um, that he wouldn't discount being a generalist, that um, even though he encourages you to specialize, uh, it is your decision at the end of the day and you should per, uh, pursue whatever is attractive to you. That was something that stuck out to me. Yeah. Also, um, how humble he was yeah. very much stuck out to me. He was so, even though I kind of um, brought up all this amazing stuff he'd done, he still just left the hubris behind and was kind of like, be kind. Yeah. Uh, Casey? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the, the element of, you know, making sure that you're being kind and you're working on your, you know, you make sure your personality is also there as, as well as the, the showreel that you have. I think a lot of what he said had a really solid grounding in how the industry works. And, you know, the more people listen to, to what he had to say, the, the more helpful it will be for them. Um, but yeah, I think he also practices what he preaches. You can kind of hear it in the way he talks about things. He, he knows what he's talking about through experience. Yeah. yeah. All of it really. <laughs> yeah. The biggest thing I, that stood out to me was just the reminiscing about being able to be in a bar and chat to people. <laughs> it's uh, seems a long time ago. <laughs> I have to add also, he's very, <laughs> he's very well-spoken. Um, yeah. I, I have never felt more that I see, I can't even say the sentence correctly, that I can't, I can't express myself as well. And I think it's, it's, it's such an important uh, thing as, as someone who's guiding people to mm. be able to really like, in, you know, express yourself in such a way that, that is clear and, and, and really gives the message across in yeah. a nice kind of you know, soft and gentle way. So yeah, he's very well spoken. Yeah. yeah definitely. Minimize any ambiguity. Exactly. Cool. So uh, that's that podcast. Next uh, in the podcast, we speak to Ruth Ducker uh, at uh, Move Summit again, and she talks about how she climbed the career ladder to become an uh, uh, animation director working on shows like uh, Flugels and Odd Bods and for companies like Disney. So look out for that one coming up next. Um, and also, uh, you've got to try out our new website at betaanimdojo.com, uh, which is also now in free... Uh, is free whilst people are in lockdown while the premium content is is now free um so give that a go and so hopefully people can make the most from being stuck inside and also i should add check out our previous podcast because we've got hours of uh, fantastic interviews all about uh how the, to best to apply for jobs to make showreels to interview and how to get hired so there's there's a wealth of material that will help you get that dream job um, so that's it. Thanks to everyone. Uh, cheers, Beda, Katie and Grace. And thanks to Andrew Chesworth as well. And uh, we hope this podcast has been useful and hopefully inspiring to so one day you can be the next Andrew Chesworth. Uh, there we go. Well, thanks and cheers, everyone. And see you see next time. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.